we're going to continue our series in verse 1 Corinthians. And so uh, we were, we've been looking, last week we looked at the gifts, and we, we've seen how Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and just these important issues that uh, we all face even today. Interesting how Corinth is so closely connected to us today in the United States, very similar in uh, how their systems worked and how their cultures were. And so today we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. We're going to be looking at some other uh, contextual verses so that we can have a full understanding of what we're reading. A lot of times you're going to hear this passage read at a, at a wedding, which is appropriate, but it is not really about weddings or marriage. It's much more about what God is defining for us. So we all know that what love is. And so as we look at the focus of this chapter, uh, we're going to see that there's two main focuses. One is love, and the other is the future. What does the future hold? And so as we look on our slide, we're going to see uh, the focus for today's chapter is defining love and the future. And one of the most important things as we come to this uh, time in, in the service when we're studying God's Word is the realization of language. Language is so important. Right now, I'm transmitting wavelengths from my mouth, and it's going to your ear and to your eardrum, and your brain is interpreting what I'm saying so that you understand. And hopefully it doesn't sound like gibberish to you this morning, uh, but it sounds uh, like cohesive, coherent uh, information. And hopefully it's not just my opinion or my perspective, but it's the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, that is teaching us this morning. But we have to recognize that our English language is far, far removed from what Adam and Eve had spoken, what Abraham spoke, uh, what the Hebrew language is. And even so far as uh, you can go back to 1611, the King James Bible, that old English is not... Uh, understandable today. If we read it completely from 1611, there's not a person here who would understand what it says. Because Old English, even the true Old English, it doesn't look much like our modern English. And as I was studying this and looking up what the uh, languages are built from, the history of English, we are made up of 20% German. Did you know that? That the German language has impacted our language in 26% of what we have today. 29% is French. Did you know that? 29% is also Latin. Latin, because the Roman Empire and the Roman Catholic Church established Latin as the main language that the Bible would be read from, and so Latin has a huge influence in our English language today. 6% of our modern English comes from a Greek foundation. And if you study the history of the world, you're going to find that the Greek, uh, Alexander the Great, had conquered most of the known world, and he established the Greek language as the language that should be read and used in all business practices. Second century Old Testament was translated in what we call the Septuagint. So this was what Jesus would have read, what Jesus would have had in his time. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament so that we can have an accurate uh, and uh, reliable translation for us today. The Septuagint is used in almost every... Uh, seminary around the world to study the Old Testament because it gives us accurate information about what the original text has read. If you've studied this at all, you know the Dead Sea Scrolls, and most of Isaiah is found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, and it is accurate to within a word of what we have today. That's why we can trust it. That way it hasn't been manipulated or changed. Six percent is from other languages, other languages. And so it's so important. Why is it so important? Because this word love 
Um, we say, I love donuts, right? I love uh, the Steelers, or I love the Washington Commanders, or I love Florida State, um, or I love my car, or I love my job. We use the word, and it means, it means a lot of different things, but we only use one word. And unfortunately, what we're talking about today is the most important word in all of language, and we don't really have a good word. Love doesn't really encompass what love that we're told about here in Scripture is. And so as we look at the word love, if you look at the Septuagint and then you look at the, the, the New Testament was written in Greek, and what it says is there's basically at least eight forms of the word love. The first is eros, which is romantic, passionate love. Filio, which is affectionate love. Storge, family love. Mania, obsessive love. Ludus, playful love. Pragma, enduring love. Philaditia, self-love. And then agape. And we have in our building agape building because this Greek word agape is the selfless charitable love of God. It is the love that we're going to be talking about today. It is the love that is the most important. And that's why I think languages, here you can see agape, how it's written in the Greek. This is the most important word in all of the languages because this is the defining factor that God gives us that he wants us to understand why he came to this earth, why he uh, gave his one and only son that he would die for us because he loved us this way. And so this morning, we're going to look at the difference between godly love and godless love. Godly love and godless love. I believe that for most people that will ever live, this will be the most important topic for them to understand. This will be the most important truth for them to realize. That godless love is something you can choose. Or godly love is something you can choose. And both of these choices have profound consequences, have immense consequences. And if we don't understand that we can, we can use the word and it is it's God's love for us and the love he wants us to have for him. And so as we look to God's word this morning, we're going to ask the question, what does God want us to know about love? What does God want us to know about agape love? And so let's precede his word in prayer and ask him to speak to us so that we clearly understand. Father God, we thank you for this day that you've created. We thank you that you love us, um, that you died on the cross, were buried and rose again, that we would have eternal life. I pray that you would bless this time as we look to your word, that we would be hearers of the word that are also doers of the word, that Lord, this word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, that we would recognize the nourishment that your word gives us spiritually, that your word will never pass away, and that Lord, this is what you've called us to do at this moment, to commit ourselves to studying so that we may be approved in your sight, knowing your word and rightly dividing it. But we pray that you would bless um, our understanding, bless uh, the practice of what you teach us, and give us grace and mercy. Lord, as we follow you today. Lord, if there's someone here who doesn't know you as their personal Savior, has not received you, not confessed and believed, I pray today that you would show them their need for you and that they would receive you. Lord, bless the reading of your word. Help us to be hearers that understand. In Jesus' name, amen. First century Corinth was an interesting place. It was one of the Mecca centers. You have to understand, Corinth was a, uh, it was a city where there were two piers. There were two places of ports of entry. So there were 
uh, commerce coming and going, this created a lot of wealth, but it also bought, brought belief systems from all over the world to this one location. This was a very wealthy place. It was a place of industry and business. This was known as one of the major cities of its day, and therefore you would see, if you went there, many temples to Artemis, to Zeus. You would see these temples to all these different gods. And so there were all of these different perspectives on this topic of love. Uh, most of them, though, would come back to the idea that love is self-centered. Love is what you do for you. Love is about your own journey and your own desires and you having the best life possible for yourself. And so this kind of preaching and this kind of teaching was what was happening at all the temples. And we know this because uh, the most fleshly of desires was being used as a worship tool in that day. And so love had been demeaned or, or demoted to the point of just your lusts being fulfilled, and that meant love. And so when, when Paul begins to teach and when the, the leaders of the church begin to teach this concept of agape love, it would have been going counterculture. It would have been going exactly the opposite direction that the rest of the culture was going. And so we have to recognize that this polytheistic self-loving culture was not ready or was not going in the same direction as what we're going to talk about with agape love. And so I would call it godless love. There is a godless love, and it produces death. And I think one of the greatest challenges of our day, one of the greatest challenges we have as a parent, as a neighbor, as a brother, a sister, as a cousin, a nephew, as a co-worker, is the fact that we have such an extreme extremely different view of this topic of love. Because love is the defining factor when it comes to the gospel, it comes to God's nature, it comes to what it is to be a believer in Christ. And so as we look at this, we're going to see this contrast between godless love and godly love. Well, what does godless love produce? It's denying God. It's saying God has nothing to do with me. I can find love without God. The person that says, I don't need God, to have love, here's what we're told in Romans chapter 1, 28, what that leads to. Verse 28 says this, And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to corrupt minds so that they would do what is not right. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy and murder and quarrels and deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanders, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. The longer you allow a godless perspective on love to penetrate your thinking, to penetrate your culture, to penetrate how things function, the more this becomes true of you and the body. Things like greed and wickedness, murder, quarrels, deceit, malice, gossip, slanders, God-haters. Just turn on the news. Just go anywhere. And you recognize if you don't have the seed of agape, if you don't have the truth of agape in a culture, in a person, in a family, it, there is great harm, there is great danger, there is great pain that is associated, that comes along with a godless love. Because the one thing that we all need is godly love. We all need it. You need it. I need it. For us to survive, for us to have a hope for a future, we need to have this godly, godful love, godly love. Here's what Christ teaches about love, and it's so important. Mark chapter 12, verse 29. Jesus answered, 
The most important is to listen, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Here's what he says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to teach you the most important commands of life. Uh, This is what I expect if you declare that I am your Savior, if you declare that I am your Lord, is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And the second, much like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, there's one word there. If we don't understand it, it's going to be very difficult to fulfill this task that God has given us, that Christ has given us. And that word is love. What does it mean to love God with all my heart? What does it mean to love God with all my strength? What does it mean to love God with all of my my soul and my spirit? How am I to love him this way? And I think because this confusion exists, because people will go to church and, and they'll come to these and we use this word love, but love means so many things, it's hard for us to truly understand what Jesus is telling us to do here. And so this morning I want to dive into his word and I want to see what does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love him with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength? What does that look like? How can I accomplish that? How do I make sure that is valued in my life? Jesus continues to give us some important information because we are created on purpose to live, to love God and to love people. 1 John 4, 16 says this, and we have come to know and to believe that the love of God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. What is given to us through the book of Mark here is so significant and so powerful. This is the confusion. Jesus uh, is revealing to us something that is beyond what we could know unless he told us. And here's what he said. Not only is God loving, not only does God produce love, not only does God desire love, not only does God want us to love him, he actually is love. God is the fulfillment of love. And if you don't have him involved, then it is not love. He's saying the equation, the recipe, however you want to look at it, for it to be love... It must be about him. This is where we're confused. This is where we're distracted. This is where we have been led down a false path to believe somehow we can say things are love but have nothing to do with God or are godless. That is not love. Because only in the understanding that God is at the very core of what love is can we truly love. We live in a world that says you can have love without God but I don't believe that they understand what love truly is. And my prayer, my prayer, the burden that I have, and hopefully the burden we have, is that there would be an opening of the eyes and an opening of the heart, the recognition that we were made on purpose with a purpose, and if we don't fulfill that purpose, then we have wasted what we've been given. That if we don't recognize that love is not a feeling, love is not something I can fall into and fall out of, love is not something I can wield as, as a tool or, or as a weapon, love is not uh, a song lyric. Do you know how many people build their view of love on a song? What's love got to do with it? Right? 
It's a secondary emotion, is it? Is that how you built your theology on life? Because this is the one area we can't mess up. This is the one area I can't get wrong. Because this is the defining factor that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. That is how he demonstrated his love for me. And if I don't understand what love is, and if I don't recognize that this is the essential element of being a believer in Christ, I will miss all of it. I will miss the purpose and plans he has for me. I will miss it all. That is why the enemy is so uh, fiercely bent on distracting people and distorting what love is. Why do you think love is a word that is being used in so many different ways except the right way? Because the enemy knows how important that word is. The enemy knows how powerful that is. And he knows how destructive a distortion of it is. A godless love will destroy. There is no other way. There is no other option. Godless love only brings disaster. To tell you how important that is, we dive into 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 12. And here, here's what it says. If I speak human, or 13, I mean, if I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I have nothing. And if I give away all my possessions and if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Paul is saying here, you can do all the wonderful Christian things we talk about, uh, singing and, and, and going out and serving the poor and, and, and giving up everything for the cause of Christ. But if I do it void of love, it is pointless. If that agape love is not in my life, I'm wasting my life. And that is significant. Everyone you know, everything about my life, if it didn't involve the agape love of God in it, it was for waste. We are told that there is a judgment, and that at the first judgment it is, what did I do with Christ? Did I receive him as my Savior so he could take the penalty of my sin? And so there's an initial judgment that everyone in this room will face. The Bible has made it very clear. It is appointed once for you and I to be judged. We will stand in front of God himself. He will look at our life, and he'll say, what did you do with this blessing, this gift I gave you of life? And the first judgment is, did, how should I uh, judge you? Are you guilty or innocent? The only way you can be innocent is if Christ has paid for you. The only way you can be justified is if you have Christ's blood covering your sins. And the only way you can have Christ's blood covering your sins is if you've confessed and believed in the cross and the resurrection. But after that, we're told there is a next judgment for the believer. And he says, we'll stand and there will be a, a place of judgment and, and all our works will be evident. All of the things that we did, all the things I did as a follower of Christ, as a believing Christian, will be in front. And then this fire, as if an angel pulls a lever and the fire burns up. And all of the things I did without this agape love, all the things I did that weren't Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-led, will be burned up. And what will be left is what I actually did because I agape loved God and he agape loved me and I lived in obedience to that love. And then we're told that we're able to take that and give it as a gift to the Lord. 
But if we miss this, we've been told in advance, if I stand at that judgment and everything's burned up, I can't say it's unfair. We've been told, you've been told, all of us have been told, everyone in this room now knows you are without excuse, that there is a judgment upon our lives based on this agape love. And that's why Jesus said, look, this is the reason for you to live, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And the second, which is maybe for most of us a lot harder, you've got to love people the way you love yourself. Because how you love others is a demonstration of how you love God. Because they're made in the image of God, and God values them so highly that he would come to earth, live a perfect life, die on a cross, be separated, take on the sins of mankind because he values you and I so greatly. If we don't value each other, then we, in a way, blaspheme the cross. And so this morning, as we look at this, this whole concept, it's, it's such a, a convicting, and I'm putting myself in the front of the line because I can do a lot of things in my own power. I can try to be a great person and put forth this picture that I am just serving the Lord, but there are times when I'm self-centered. There are times when it's about me, and that is not agape love. If I do it because I'm pressured to do it, if I do it because I'm guilted to do it, if I do it because it makes me feel good that I'm better than other people, none of that is agape love. Agape love is a love so deeply interested in following and believing and trusting the Lord that it's sacrificial and it's committed and it's consistent and it's a love that saturates every part of my life from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed. The agape love of Christ is in me. The agape love is, is showing me and revealing to me how I'm to live, how I'm to treat other people, how I'm to act. When it comes to a decision in life, what does this agape love lead me to? Because God is at the center of it. God is the director. 1 John 4.19 says this, We love because He first loved us. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God... And yet he hates his brother or sister. He gossips, badmouths, distorts their, their humanity. He is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he can see, has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And we have this in common. We have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. I think sometimes we're in church and you grew up in church. Many of us grew up in church and you know I got to love God and I got to be obedient to God. Um, but then the challenge is how do we love each other? Because we're all different. You have a different way of doing things. Some people intentionally make bad choices. Am I supposed to hate them because of that? Is, the, is there a way out where as a Christian I can bad mouth or I can belittle or I can distort another? Do, am I given that right anywhere in Scripture? Is God ever said, it's okay, if, as long as they do this and that, then it's okay to say bad things about them. As long as they act like this, then yeah, I want you to be mean to them. No. He says, if you can't love them, yeah, you think it's easy for me to love you? <laughs> if you can't love them who you see and are in the presence of, how will you ever love me? Who you have to put your complete faith in. 
and trust. Godly love is the only option for Christians. You do not have the right, the privilege, or the opportunity to hate someone. You don't. We don't. Love doesn't mean we uh, accept things. Love doesn't mean that we encourage or empower things. Love doesn't mean any of that. What love means is, I believe that God placed you on a purpose. He loves you. He died for you. And he wants to be the Lord of your life. Every human being, you should desire to want to know Christ as their Savior. You should desire and pray, just like Saul had to become Paul. Maybe they're most evil. They're the furthest from God. They're the most godless person on the planet. And yet, uh, they're one confession and belief away from being completely godly. Salvation comes to those who ask. I think this is a challenge. I think this is a challenge for every one of us because I believe our flesh leads us when things are challenging in our own lives, when things aren't working out the way we want in our own lives, it becomes part of this way of coping by being angry at people, attacking other people, undermining other people. And what does that really produce within us? Does that produce life? Does that produce hope? Does that produce happiness? No, it, it feeds the pain. It feeds the sin, which is birthed into death. And it will destroy relationships and it will destroy different areas. And most importantly, above all else, it, it keeps us from having that agape love for God. It keeps that relationship, which is the single most relationship and important relationship in your life, from being healthy. Many people are asleep spiritually. They're asleep spiritually. They don't sense God. They don't feel God. They have no appetite for the things of God. They have no heart for the lost because they've allowed themselves to hate someone else. They've allowed themselves to let bitterness grow within their life. They've allowed themselves to allow sin in and to build a home inside them and to dwell there and then take other areas in their life. And this is what we're here to talk about today because we've got to deal with that. God wants the best for you. He wants the best for me. And he doesn't want us to overlook these things and pretend like they're not there. He wants us to recognize that agape love is what I've been created for. It's what you're created for. Anything else will not do. Anything else will not suffice. I think the most amazing and beautiful part of this is God doesn't hide what love is to us. He doesn't hide how we can figure out and we can see. It's not mysterious. It's very clear. Here's what he says. God gives us a definition of love. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. If you want to know if you have godly love, if you're agape loving God and you're agape loving others, here is how it reveals itself in our life. Here is the fruit. Love is patient. Are we patient? Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things and endures all things. I think we all can agree our world is broken. Our lives are broken. Relationships, challenges, physical problems, emotional problems, relational problems. Everyone everywhere is in agreement. The world isn't as it should be. God's answer 
is his agape love. Do you realize how beautiful heaven's going to be? Not because it has streets of gold and chocolate fountains. No. <laughs> it's going to be amazing because we're going to have this kind of love for each other. We're going to be patient with each other. We're going to be kind with each other. I've been in both worlds. I've been, I was fortunate to have amazing godly parents and have a peaceful home with a lot of grace and a lot of mercy. And I'm telling you, that fills my heart with joy. Even now, I'm emotional because that was such an amazing thing to experience. And that's what I'm trying to produce in my home. I've also been in places in college and, and workplaces where it's not like that, where there's anger and hostility, people at each throats, there's competitiveness, there's this desire to put others down so I can build myself up. There's anger in, in a high level that you never feel comfortable, you never feel safe, you never feel like this is where I belong. And you know, the most people in this world, that's where they live. They live in hostile, destructive, distorted. You have no value. You're only valuable if you're successful, and you better stay successful. So many people that are around us right now are dying on the inside because they think love is being received by other people. They think love is achievement. They think love is, is a sexual experience. They think love is everything except what it actually is which is a relationship with God, an agape love. And when you have agape love in your life, you begin to have patience. You begin to have kindness. You begin to have all of these things that have been revealed here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. They become part of your life. Yes, at a wedding we should say these because a, a man and his wife should always come back to this. This is how we're to treat each other. But it's also how you should treat your children and your neighbor and your coworker. That this type of relationship would be the one, as Americans, we say we most desire this type of relationship. I don't want to have to lock my door. I don't have to about worry about cybersecurity. I don't have to worry about everyone trying to steal everybody's stuff. I want us to value each other. I want us to live in a society where we can trust each other, where we can think the best of each other, where I'm not always worried that it's a scam, someone's trying to get someone from me, trying to abuse the relationship. But that's the world we live in. And God's answer to that is us as light and salt. God's answer is agape love shining from us, his followers. Do you know how attractive that agape love is to a dying and dark world? They know no peace. They run after a vapor. They run after a lie. Day by day, I can't wait for the weekend. I can't wait for this trip. I can't wait. And then what? And then what? Now I have more issues and more problems and more struggles. God's answer is agape love. It's sacrificial, God-centered love. It's a love that Christ came to establish on the cross for us. And when it says, for God so loved the world, he agape loved you. He agape loved me so much that anyone who believes will not perish, but have eternal life, and not just life where you got to lock your doors and hide your stuff and always be afraid what people think about you, but life of peace and joy and laughter and all of the things we know in our hearts are how things should be, but are not. That's why we're here. The prize is still yet ahead. We're in the broken part of the journey. But at least we can put our minds on the prize. We can put our minds on the destination. And we can start to share with others 
that this life is not all there is, and this life is empty if you think this life is all there is. What an amazing truth we have. What a powerful truth that you and I have this morning. It's amazing. Because look what he says in 1 Corinthians at the end. For now we see only in a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. You and I really haven't tasted this agape love completely yet. We've, we've had like a crumb that fell off the plate of the actual entree. We've had a drop of the drink that God is going to pour out on our lives eternally. We see it barely. You and I know. We know what it should be. It's, it's amazing how we know how things should be and are not. Because we see it dimly. But then when we pass from this life to the next, then we'll see it clearly. All things will be so clear you no longer can deny. That's why it says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Because this is temporary. And we got to stop living like this is heaven. This is not heaven. This is the journey to heaven. This is where you got to meet Jesus and receive him as Savior and then walk with him until the end. And that's agape love. That's God-filled love. And as, as much as the world wants godless love to be the answer, it'll never be the answer. It's not all we need is love unless that love is agape love. It is the answer. It is the hope that we have. In death, we will truly understand God's love. The moment that we are separated from here, if you know Christ, the moment we are separated from this life, we are present with the Lord. That's amazing. That's that is worth the pain and suffering of this life. Paul said it's not comparable. The pain and challenges and hardship of this life is not comparable to the glory that God has in store for us. Do you believe that? Because belief is action. Belief is motivation. Belief is life transforming. It's not talk. It's not talk. Talk leads to action. If it ends at talk, then it's actually a curse. And so we need to believe it. He finishes out the chapter. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I think it's interesting that he, he pulls out of those three. Faith, the thing that gives us hope for, for the future. Faith, that, the, that gives us direction. And then hope, the thing that we can place all of our, our, our desires in, that, that this is how it's going to be when he returns. But the greatest of those is love. Why? Because faith is only for this journey. We'll no longer need faith because we'll be in his presence eternally. Hope is only for this part of the journey. Because we'll we've got to the destination. But love, love is eternal. Agape love is eternal. Godly love is eternal. You want to truly love your spouse? You want to truly love your kids and grandkids? You want to teach them what life's all about? Teach them about agape love. And teach them by action and word. Teach them that sacrificial love is better than selfish love. Teach them that the love that gives is better than the love that just waits to receive. Teach them that this type of love is the love that a perfect God left a perfect heaven to come to a broken world and, and live amongst broken people so that he could fix that brokenness. Teach them and show them that even though it's broken today, there is a hope in the future because of this love. 
And that the one way I know that I am loved, even though maybe in your life you've never felt loved, you can know that you're loved because Christ loves you. How much does he love you? He loves you enough to go to a cross. That's how much he loves you. The real question then becomes, how much do you love him? How much do you agape love the one who is that love? Questions to consider this morning as we've read through different texts. Do you love God? These are for you to answer to yourself. Do you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Can you say that's true of you? Do you love your neighbor as you love yourself? In your life, how often do you pursue God? How often do you pursue God? Because this love is a love you pursue. You don't just wait. You got to pursue the love of God. And then finally, do you not finally, do you want godly love? Do you want it in your life? And I think this question is, is of vital importance for everyone in this room. Are you ready for eternity? Are you ready for eternity? That's the promise we've been given. The promise of agape love is we don't have to fear death. The death is falling asleep and waking up in home. Death is the door into our eternity with the Lord. That we're not to fear it. We're not to worry about it. We're to focus on the living God and the Holy Spirit, and Christ our Redeemer. Application this morning, the medicine and vitamin that God gives us that can help us in this area is thankfulness. Thank God for his love for you. When you wake up in the morning, thank you, God, for another day to be alive. Thank you for, for all the ways that you show me you love me. My eyes work. My ears work. I have running water, I have electricity, I have gravity holding me to the ground, I have internal organs that are working properly for me to be alive. Thank you, Lord. The number of things that you do for me, I can't count. Thank you, Lord. Take an honest look at yourself. This is the only time that we can sacrificially live for the Lord. When your heart stops beating, that this part of your journey is over. Don't miss what God wants to do in your life, how he wants to show his agape love to you. The one thing that will keep us from this agape love is unconfessed sin. If there is sin in your life that you need to confess, today is the day of confession. If you've never received Jesus as your Savior, confess and believe. Put your faith and trust. If you know Jesus as your Savior, but you've allowed the flesh to have authority, you've allowed the flesh to take uh, ownership in your life, you need to confess it, reject it, and give that authority back to the Lord. Ask God for help. Ask God for help. James, in the book of James, it says, if we ask of the Lord for wisdom, he will give it to us generously. He desires for us to seek him, and when we seek him, he rewards us in ways that we can't even imagine. And then finally, listen to the Holy Spirit. It's amazing to me as we study through the Word of God how many times God directly speaks to people. He speaks to them, and they hear it. If we're not listening, then we won't hear it. We need to intentionally tune in and say, Holy Spirit, help me understand. Help me to see. Help me to understand. This morning, what is He saying to you? How is he speaking to your heart? 
Is there someone in your life that he's burdening your heart with? Is there something in your life that he's burdening you with? This is that opportunity. This is what we're here for. This is why we gather, that the Lord would reveal himself to us in a new way and grow us in our faith and understanding of him. Thank you.